I thought I'd start today's episode, our finale, with an absolutely perfect quote. It's from Seneca. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. It's an absolutely perfect quote for this series, and it's an absolutely perfect quote for this episode, which is on the book, Conquering Uncertainty, Understanding Corporate Cycles and Positioning Your Company to Survive the Changing Environment. And it's with our guest for this four-part series, and I'm very, very grateful for all the time he's given us. Theodore Modis, welcome back. Thank you. It's my, my pleasure again. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I was telling you off air, I've read so many books on innovation, more recent books than yours. And I see traits in your book that probably were the inspiration behind so many other books as well. And you were telling me that, that you weren't the first to use S-curves either. No, there were, well, it goes back in the previous century, but my mentor was Cesare Marchetti from IASA, International Institute of Advanced System Analysis in Vienna. He worked there and he introduced me to the subject and I carried on even beyond his death. <laughs> so, but that was around the mid 80s when I got introduced. He got onto the subject in the 70s. And then you saw the Fisher and Pry transformation, which was 10 years earlier. And there were, as I say, the S-curve has been talked about even in the previous century. I was telling my wife this morning, Theodore, that I was saying, you know, I, I have these ideas, ideas for articles, ideas for writing, and I think I've come up with this beautiful idea. And then I discover somebody's written it already. This book was one of those, because I was writing before about how humanity or civilization is in its final S curve. I actually called it humanity is in its winter. And it was exactly <laughs> <laughs> well, the top of the S curve is a winter. Exactly, exactly. So I thought I was like, now I can't write, I can't finish that blog, but I might finish it someday inspired by you and absolutely quote you and, and reference well, you. No, that. If you do, it's going to be different. It's not going to be the same book. So it's worth pursuing, even if it is the same subject. Yeah, well, I suppose times change as is the yeah the, the point of view and the environment and what's happening it will be adapted to what you'll be saying. So, so let's give an overview for this book because I'll start you with a quote from the forward from the book from the prologue. You say, "Common sense tells us it is inefficient to gear continuously for disaster, just as it is dangerous to assume that the good days will last forever." You offer us in this book a science that will anticipate the next turning point with sufficient accuracy for just-in-time action. That term, just-in-time action, was something we touched on before. And it com constantly comes up, theater in my workshops, in my keynotes, where people go, how do you know it's time to jump to a new curve? And you tell us exactly how you know it's time. Yeah. No, the just-in-time expression was... 20 years ago, even 30 years ago, I was with digital, even before, there was a slogan that was pushed on everyone just in time, but no understanding, no quantitative methodology of being able to locate what, what just in time means. So in my mind, just in time means being able to find out where you are on the curve. And then once you know where you are, then you know what comes up. And so you prepare just in time. The main thing is to position yourself on the curve. That's the first step. 
the important thing about this just in time so many people have heard of just in time production it's not the same thing as just in time jit production in lean manufacturing for example where you just get all the the supply chain just in time it's something totally different and i just wanted to talk about that overlap because there's a mathematics to this where you say as your product or service or company is coming to the last 90% it's time to start or plant the new growth for the future that right. needs because you need that overlap that's right and you need a certain leeway you put the seeds in the fall in order to have the sprouting in the spring so same way you prepare what you're going to launch in the spring you prepare it in the fall and that's why the seasons is appropriate because it segments the the life cycle of the of the entire process into segments which are intuitively understandable. You can get a feeling <clears throat> just because we're talking about winter, and you know winter is survival. Is the species are trying to survive in any way they can. So there are many characteristics which are falling out automatically, spontaneously out of this analogy. There are some others which are more sophisticated than you have to look for. One of the things that I thought was so important, and this is where I was saying to you, writing an article about this, and I was saying that you can't resist the dip, as in organizations or businesses will try to mask the the ultimate decline. You're, you're, you cannot avoid that. It's inevitable, the decline, the dip. You cannot avoid the winter, but you can prepare for it. And I thought, for example, you might elaborate on this. You plant enough seeds or bulbs in order to avoid the predation or the harsh weather conditions that will inevitably kill some of them but also you prepare your people and also you might need to prepare different people to get through that period yeah and then uh, it's, it's a period that is a trial and error you're going to have to it's a difficult period but the, the difficulty is uh, rich it's uh, it's fruitful People, when life is easy, people get complacent. But when life is hard, people get get innovative. They get the the greatest ideas pop up during winter time, not during summertime. During summertime, one goes to the beach and doesn't think very much. But in the winter, people have to become inventive. They have to try try trial and error. Fits in the winter. You try different things. Most of them fail. One will come up. Even if one comes up, you have the seed for the next spring, for the for the next crop. But so winter is entrepreneurial. And even though there is death is associated with it, death because many ideas will die. I mean, you have to try many before one catches. So that's the that's the, the selection process. In, in other words, remember the competition business, ideas compete between them, and the best idea will make it. But my cat moved away. <laughs> he was in front of me all this time. So, so winter is a selection period out of the many trials that people do because they, they, they become motivated to become entrepreneurial and, and look around and, and invent and, and try, and even if it's far-fetched. But this is the time. This is the richest time for that matter. The most productive time is winter, even though... 90% of it will be lost.
we'll come back to the the type of people you need to hire the way the organization needs to be reorganized it needs to be more decentralized for example when it gets to positions like this it it doesn't need the bureaucrats as you say you need to hire leonardo da vinci's during that period but we'll come back to that because you touched on the idea of competition and i just wanted to again recall some of the great theories the great ideas that you gave us throughout the last series the last episodes you say here a species population may begin growing into an ecological niche already filled in this case the new population can grow only to the extent that the other one decreases that's an important point thus, substitution. thus occurs a process of substitution you tell us and under conditions of natural competition the transition from occupancy by the old to occupancy by the new should follow the S-curve pattern. A classic example, and I'm going to show a graph here, is one we touched on earlier, the substitution of cars for horses at the beginning of this century. Now, before I share this, the reason I'm repeating this is this book, I want to tell our audience, is more about business than the previous book. But Theodore, I'm going to share on the screen the, the graph of horses and cars and perhaps you'll take us through that, and then I'll jump to the Microsoft graph. I mean, at the turn of the century, the 20th century, all vehicles, so to speak, were horses. There were no cars. But then as the population of cars kept growing, the population of horses kept declining. And we ended up 30 years later, practically, I say practically, not entirely substituted horses for cars. Some horses were left on and they will still be around. But in, for all practical purposes, this is a clean-cut, one-to-one substitution over 30 years. And this very smooth, as you see, despite the fact that a world war took place in the meantime. Two world wars, for that matter. No, no, one world war took place. The second one is later. But uh, the war didn't influence the substitution process. If, they, if, they, if it was in the beginning of the war, they got more horses for cars. Towards the end of the war, they got more cars for horses. But, but that evolution of the population of horses and cars continued, despite the fact there were earth-shaking events like a whole world war taking place. This was more fundamental. Uh, what I want to show here, if I may, is the absolute numbers. And what I'm going to show is the black line, which shows the sum of horses and cars in absolute numbers. And because the growth is phenomenal of 50, 60 years, it's the vertical scale is even logarithmic in order to be able to accommodate that kind of growth. And you see that the black line keeps growing, even though it goes under a little slowdown towards the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. So if you look at the numbers of horses coming down and the number of cars going up, you cannot tell anything symmetric there. Cars come up very fast, horses come down slower, the overall line changes very little from the gray line, which would be an overall S-curve, describing the overall personal vehicle market of centuries. And you do not have any feeling here of the dynamics of this substitution. Obviously, horses come down and, and cars go up, but you think that cars come, go up much faster, maybe it's a different mechanism. That's not at all. As, as you said, it's very regular, as you showed before, S-curve coming down and S-curve going up. I don't have the the split from Arthur Anderson into an accounting and consulting division, as you showed in the book. But 
I thought it was interesting that firstly, many of our audience are from Arthur Anderson, they listen to the show. And they probably don't remember this split that you witnessed. And also, you talked about the need to do this at certain points in the in the seasons of an organization. Right. Well, that happens in winter. You know, that, that's when the segmentation comes in. So typically, winter time is uh, breaking down into smaller pieces. And contrary to summer, when it's integration, vertical integration and top-down directives. So Arthur Anderson did break down when the company was going into a winter season, through a winter season. Again, all of this is covered in the book, and I highly recommend it. But I'm going to share next the loss of market value by IBM and DEC in favor of Microsoft and Intel. Again, look at the regularity of this graph. And look then what we showed earlier on with cars and horses substitutions. You'll see the absolute pattern here time and time again. Market shares, okay, 100%. It doesn't substitute to exactly 100%, but it takes half of it, half of the market share, half of the market value from IBM and, and DEC go to Microsoft and Intel over the period of 15, 20 years. And the substitution is uh, S-shaped, obviously. I wanted to make a point here because, again, many of our audience theater are marketers. And you say here, they mightn't like this. <laughs> you say, wishful marketers set out to minimize the low growth period and, if possible, eliminate it. For example, by having the growth steps so close together that the overall growth rate remains practically constant. But it is naive to attribute the dip to retarded product announcements. Launching the new product long before the old one becomes exhausted will surely result in cannibalism undercutting your own market, as was thought to be the case with DeX mini computers, VAX 11, 750, and MicroVAX 2 mentioned earlier in the previous episode. However, you tell us, it is also naive to believe that a phasing out period can be revived by packaging, repackaging, advertising, price cutting, and the like. A hard fact of life is that a well-established phasing out process has a natural exiting course, one that may be self-defeating to fight. Things are different when we move from one-to-one -one substitutions to competition among several products or processes for the same market niche. In this case, advertising and pricing can indeed be effective. Maybe you'll tell us about that last part. What we're talking about here is substitution because of competitive advantages. The competitive advantages can be understood as genetic, like it's inside the, the product or inside the whatever you're selling that makes it more competitive than others. And that difference feeds the, the sales, and that feeds the S-curve. The S-curve grows because there's a competitive advantage. To the extent that you start exhausting this, you you follow the flattening of the S-curve, and there the advertising is not going to help because you've done advertising in the past. The only thing that can can influence the evolution of an S-curve to, to, to move away from an S-curve is something that never happened before. If you've done things you've already done before, is folded into the S-curve because the S-curve evolved under the influence of what you were doing. You were advertising all along, you were promoting, etc. So all these actions have been taken into account. So only if you do something that you never did before, drastically different, then you may have a chance of saying, okay, now this S-curve will stop 
or there's going to be a new one because it's sufficiently differentiated. That's, that's a key thing. There must be sufficient differentiation and not just cosmetic or more of the same. More of the same will keep you on the curve. <laughs> so let's let maybe let's bring that to life with an example. So I'm I'm a company. I've had a successful product. I I've been coasting for a while, as you say. I'm relaxing. I'm going to the beach in the summer, and I failed to innovate. I've failed to plant bulbs or seeds for the future seasons. What happens to me then? So maybe I'll give an example of a product that has gone through this. The products end. They they come to the end of life cycle, and then they stop selling. You know, in the summer they sell a lot. In the fall, the the sales became begin reducing. And by winter, the product doesn't sell anymore. So it's a, it's an obsolete product. The thing to do is to start uh, in spring already researching for following for the follow-up product, for the follow-up technology that will, they will take over for this product comes down. And in the fall, you put the seeds down. You say, we have a new product. We, we have something we've been preparing for. We launch it and then... It has to go through winter, survive the infant mortality, because winter is when things sprout and rabbits may eat them or people may step on them or product in the very beginning is very fragile. But once it goes beyond infant mortality into spring, then it starts growing. But the seed must be put in the fall. And in order for the seed to put in the fall, the, the research must be done on the spring of the previous product. So, so the, the one product uh, follows the other. In, in the harmonic way, as I say, still there will be a dip in the overall sales. But that's okay. I mean, it's better than cannibalizing your product and having lots of inventory left because everybody's buying the new one. Or people are refusing to buy the new one because they are fed up with too many changes, as I do with Windows, Windows Microsoft Windows. I mean, <laughs> there were too many coming up. Apple iPhones are doing similar things these days. But I don't know what they do with all the old Apple phones that don't that don't manage to sell. But <laughs> Hopefully, they're recycling them anyway for the planet, for the sake of the yeah. planet. There should be a good market for old products, new old products, not not used old products, like old products that did not get sold because the new ones came out. I don't know if anybody takes advantage of that. To oh. me, it sounds like a opportunity <laughs> we covered up in the past theater with our guest paul nunes and he was telling me that that you know places like africa don't want them because the tech they're not quick enough so they're actually all on the same cycle as us with regards to the technology which i thought was remarkable so people are skipping as you say because of the cannibalism they're just going we'll just wait till the next yeah, cycle right because, yeah. if, if it's not harmonic i mean uh, you cannot keep changing so rapidly Let's move to seasons because seasons is really the foundation of this book. And I'm going to share a brilliant diagram and, and I'll come back to it back and forth. And I thought we'd spend pretty much the rest of the, this episode okay. talking about each of the seasons and what happens in that season and what type yeah. of people you hire, what happens to the organization in that period, etc. I'm just going to quote here again, because this book is full of beautiful language. And I just want to remind our audience, Theodore is native Greek speaker and speaks Italian because of where he lives in Switzerland as well. So, and he wrote this book in English. So it's a credit to you as well to, to have done that as well. So bravo, sir. Thank so you, you say Thank here, you. you say here, it is worth looking in more detail at each season's characteristics and how they can help us on everyday work decisions. 
there are advantages and disadvantages to each season. As we grow through the various characteristics, keep in mind that they are meant to be in relative terms. That is, whatever happens in one season with respect to what happened during the previous seasons. For, for example, to say that competition becomes lowest in spring does not mean that it's negligible. It simply means that competition is relatively lower in spring than during other seasons. So just to set that up, and you might describe this diagram, because this diagram really brings everything together. As you said about competition, you say the same thing about innovation. People talk about innovation, this panacea, and you just innovate all the time. Well, you don't innovate. I mean, you may innovate all the time, but there are times appropriate for extra innovation and times appropriate for less innovation. Like you, you innovate the products in, in spring. You come up with new products in spring, but you innovate the processes in the, in the winter, in the fall. So there is innovation all the time, but it's quali qualitatively different. The same thing with competition. Competition is minimal in the spring and is maximal in the, in the fall again. But it's always competition. That we cannot do without competition. But it's the relative amount that characterize the going through the different springs. We're going to take it season by season. And we're going to start with winter, because as Theodore tells us, there's two winters to every product. There's the start, the winter of the old and the winter of the new. So that's an important idea to, to grasp. But I'll give you a little quote here, Theodore, and maybe you'll, you'll speak to this again, beautifully written. Winter is the beginning and the end. Death comes naturally only in winter. That is why survival becomes the name of the game. People are anxious, confused, and frustrated and explore new directions. During the chaos, which is an important term of the winter, profound changes take place. Enterprises focus on core competencies and organize themselves horizontally. Multidisciplinary generalists are in demand. The Leonardo da Vinci's. This is the time to fire bureaucrats, Theodore tells us. Train and reskill the rest of the workplace and mobilize entrepreneurs. The business becomes culture-driven and enterprises go after niche markets with short-term strategies. New directions are set. It is a period of selection. Beautiful. Over to you, Theodore, to expand on winter. Well, you said it all. Other catchwords are redesign, re-engineer. It's the general idea of fundamental change. And that becomes easier when it's horizontal, when it's segmented, when there's no big boss dictating the line, the company, the additional line. It's a bottom-up. The forces are bottom-up. The prices are bottom-up. That is, you may end up selling products at a cost because nobody will buy it unless you, you sell it be below what you call what it costs for you so and it's entrepreneurship you you need entrepreneurs and you certainly don't need bureaucrats for those people who are watching us on youtube you'll see the graphs and those people who are subscribed you'll see the graph there but the start of the s curve is the same as if you're a startup it's the same type of energy the same type of people that you need in the organization and many of our our listeners theodore are in startups and this is why they get frustrated when the organization grows up. And I don't mean grows up to become an adult, but just be, gets to its autumn or to its winter, because in the autumn, it's all bureaucratic and it's an administration and it frustrates 
the, the Da Vinci's in the organization, but they're needed once again when it comes to winter. What's crucial here is uh, when does the chaos end and when the spring starts? The chaos of the winter means that uh, you're still vulnerable to so-called infant mortality. Nothing is sure. You may have a certain possibilities, certain ideas. You have put seeds on the ground, but you're sure about nothing. So it's not even obvious which idea to give uh, more emphasis and more resources into. So you have to clarify this direction. When, when do you feel that you're coming out of the winter? That means out of infant mortality. So you have one or two or a few growth processes that seem to be holding on and they obvious these are to be nursed. So then you switch behavior for the spring behavior because by now you know what you have to do. You have isolated those that survived infant mortality. Ultimately, you tell us recently launched products in winter face the acid test. They will live or they will die. And you find that out in spring. And Theodore tells us in spring, progressive growth and new opportunities bring hope, excitement and elation. Competition reaches a relative low point as people concentrate on hard work ethic to enhance prosperity. Spring is a period of learning and continuous improvement. It is also a period of acquisitions and investments in facilities and real estate. Operations can benefit from an attitude of wise wastefulness. Innovation in spring concerns the S-curves of one level below. For example, the spring of an industry means product innovation. The spring of the economy on a larger time scale means industry innovation. There's a, there's a lot in there, but it's also for those watching us on YouTube, you'll see it on the graph on the page. Let's talk about spring. As you said, we've gone out of infant mortality. There's no risk of dying anymore. We have something that's growing. So you want to nurse it. You hire specialists. You you improve as much as you continue improvement. You build capacity. It's also learning. You learn in spring how to do it better. There's a work ethic. That's why competition is relatively low because everybody is busy working and building and getting excited, elated, as we say, because things are continuously growing. It's, a, it's an exponential trend of growth during the spring season. One of the things you tell us at this stage, and I'm just, I'm really, emphasizing these points because they can be lost is that just like there's a spartan warrior mantra that i absolutely love the more you sweat in times of peace the less you bleed in war right. and, and i think that that's actually absolutely encapsulates because right. spring you need to be doing r d for the future right 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 that's why specialists are important here specialists who will drift naturally and slowly into bureaucrats because for the next season afterwards you will need them as bureaucrats and specialists indeed as they get older particularly and as things go well they stop innovating and then tinkering and they stop keeping bookkeeping and making sure that oil goes on the wheels just in time so that the wheels run as smooth as possible so that's that's when you drift from spring into summer i'm going to bring this to life for our audience. So you're you've worked in an organization, maybe you've come up with an R&D product, you've you've been working on it, it was your idea, it was a new service, you've brought it to life, the organization then hires a specialist, somebody who's a scaler of the idea, 
this often makes the innovator the da vinci feel undermined or feel less appreciated and that's a natural part of the growth of an organization and i thought you might expand on this theater because it really means that you've succeeded but the organization shouldn't get rid of you because they're going to need you again to go for the next cycle but they often get rid of you yeah right absolutely in fact the, the, the organization should let you they they should nurse you into the next role like the way during the winter you needed you didn't need the boss to tell you what to do ceos are minimally useful during winters entrepreneurs are during winters so in the spring you you need the specialist because you have a product you want to nurse it to maximal performance and sales and continuous improvement you want to get it you have something good you have to get it better and better build more capacity to make more and more products and these specialists have the tendency to turn into some kind of uh, bureaucrats some kind of uh, bosses later on because the the the, the specialty is not needed anymore in the next season for continuous improvement because the next season is just the milk the, milk the cow you just have to, to to maximize sales. So you don't, as you said, you don't hire and fire people. You make them evolve. You make them adjust themselves and become from entrepreneurs, specialists, or you may hire specialists because entrepreneurs don't become easily specialists, but specialists become easily bureaucrats and, and leaders. And that's a natural advancement for their career anyway. I often think about Theodore, you know, in, in American football, they have the specialist kickers or the, the defense team and the attacker team. I often think about the same thing. They're all part of the team, but you use them at the right stage or the right season for the exactly, right job. Exactly. And they, they themselves will go into a bit of a hibernation, but not, not for the entrepreneur, not for the innovator. You don't do that in winter. You do that earlier in spring, perhaps, or maybe even summer, actually. And in spring, you're thinking about what's coming next. So right. this understanding of horses for courses is the English expression. The right horses for the right type of course is absolutely important as well. And you tell us here on the product side, you sell, sell, sell. So you milk the cow, the milk, the cash cow. You dictate your prices and you have decadent profits. And you this could, is you could have, you don't have to, but <laughs> you could have, hopefully you do. And then finally, and I thought maybe you might expand on this, you integrate vertically, because this is something that you talked about later on in winter, right. that right. you you divest of things that aren't working anymore, or exactly. you might, exactly. but, it, but here you integrate vertically. Right, because you have products that are selling like cash cows. And then you want to sell whatever goes with the product. It needs a cover. It needs a. It needs. What, what does the product do? If it's a pencil, it needs ink, or if it's a paper, or anything that uh, will be that can piggyback the product, you might as well sell it as well. Because when you sell the product, you sell also what uh, the product needs. So to integrate vertically, to keep adding features to your product, which is selling well, it's, it's a very clever and very profitable. The thing to do, and I, and that is, I say, leadership also here, because as you get vertical, you get more top-down uh, directives. You have a TQM here, total quality management. 
and you you want to you, you don't want to drift away from what works very well. Conservatism is the is the word. So leaders are useful in conservative environments because it's a, it's a top down approach. They give orders and you just follow them and things work like a clock. There's a great quote by Peter Drucker who said that management is doing things right and leadership is doing the right things. So right. that's where leadership is so important here. It's not so much the management side where telling people what to do. It's actually deciding where to go next. The management could do could be doing something right in in winter if they empower. If if a, if a CEO gives lots of empowerment in winter, he he basically delegates. He he has no work to do for himself, but he delegates it. But that's the right thing to do. And then he's a good CEO in a winter. So so leader in the winter loses its shine. But if he he can, he or she can behave correctly in the winter if if they understand that they have to relinquish the power. And and that's really important as well. For that part where the specialist becomes a bureaucrat, it's the understanding that you're not finished. This is not a destination. This will change again. And particularly in this environment that we're seeing now, because we're in that almost period of chaos. And I, I thought at this stage, I might remind our audience of something we talked about earlier, or maybe you, you're new to this series, you haven't heard the previous ones, the Condrative cycle. So that's this ongoing undulation of chaos order, chaos order, chaos order that is in all aspects of life. And that's important to understand here, because if you zoom out beyond our life cycles, you can see that oral organizations go through this peak and troughs. This uh, picture here could be for the for a product, or it could be for, for a family of products, for technology, for or it could be for a company, or it could be for the whole economy, the world economy. So you can zoom in and out. And you always get this kind of picture with the S-curve and its, and its life cycle with the winter seasons in the beginning at the end and summer season in the middle. Then it becomes interesting when you have coincidence between the constituent summer coincide with the, with the overall summer. That is, a company is going through a summer at the same time that particular products are going through a summer too. That's a summer-summer combination. So... There are different aspects, different understanding you can get by looking not only at the product, positioning of a product where it is on its S-curve, but positioning the parent company where that one is on its S-curve. And there's a portfolio of S-curves going on, people, talent, the cycle of the your technology. So it's important to understand this is a whole portfolio. It's not just one thing, but maybe a couple of points more on summer you say in early summer it is a time to stop investing and concentrate on reaping profits but pay right. attention you tell us late summer is the turning point cash cows are by now getting old it is high time to plan for the approaching days of diminishing growth i thought you might share with us theodore some of the signals that cash cows are by now getting old sales is one thing you know the number of sales begins going down and ineffectiveness of uh, advertising and and other you you put add-ons you give uh, you make discounts you you try to keep incentives uh, you see that they don't really work because there is a very dramatic steady decline of sales no matter how you try to interfere with it 
the best way is not to interfere really, but just to, to adapt and to prepare for what's coming up. But again, the thing is to do tinker with the processes. You cannot change the products anymore, but you can change the processes. You can go into servicing the products or I say fa- face lifting here. This work in the beginning a little bit, but the deeper you go into the fall, the more you have to accept. Oh, in the beginning, you do benchmarking. As soon as you start losing market share or see that the sales go down, one of the first things to do is benchmarking to see what exactly is going wrong. Of course, you start tightening the belt and all luxurious parties and expenses and so on, face lifting, as I say. And the bureaucrats don't really help very much now. You start looking for generalists because you want to have some Leonardo da Vinci's prepare for the next season. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, again, a bit of language here that will resonate with so many audience. You say here, you are probably all too familiar with the instinctive human reaction to loss of market share in fall or autumn. Denial, blame, and panic in that chronological <laughs> order. <laughs> These are the hallmarks, you tell us, of the fall season. The usual rescuing efforts include tightening the belt programs, facelifting efforts, and a concentration on core competencies. What is excellent to start with is benchmarking, just as Theodore told us, a comparative study to find out what you are not doing quite right. A back-to-basics attitude makes operations shrink. The company divests from aging products and focuses on strategic accounts. I thought that was interesting that it, that idea of back-to-basics is also what you see in, say, for example, martial arts, beginner's mind, which means this really difficult thing of letting go of the past. And that's really difficult for people who have got to a position of the corner office, the bureaucrat, as you mentioned. That's right. And, that's right. And then they want to protect it. Absolutely. In fact, the bureaucrats are very bad at trying to give up their, their established position. That's, that's one of the most difficult uh, things to do to make them understand that uh, they cannot retain that position anymore. And, and the, on the product side here, you tell us we need to set prices according to costs, improve efficiency of operations, particularly on phasing out products. So again, Drucker said, if you're going to do something new, you stop have you have to stop doing something old. And right, you also, right. at this point, have to launch the replacement product. We mentioned that earlier on. Exactly. A couple of more just things I, I pulled out of these chapters. You say in during early fall, sobering up and tightening the belt tactics suffice, but cost-cutting and face-lifting operations are no longer effective as the season matures. And then in late fall, it's the time to redesign your processes and begin searching for or training entrepreneurs or bringing them out of hibernation. It's it's somewhat uh, poetic, uh, but it's, it's it's cute. The character is spring, summer, fall, and uh, and winter. In the summer, it's like a comedy. You have what you want, and you behave like an administrator. The question to ask is, why not? There's something comic about administrators and about asking why not. And in the fall, it's like a tragedy in terms of plays. You have what you do not want. And usually, performing artists often is characterized as tragic performance, let's say, for a performing artist. They're dealing with the how in questions. In the spring, you have romance, is a typical play type of uh, 
which is popular in spring, because you do not have what you want. That's the Romeo and Juliet, you know, the romance thing. From a music point of view, is like a composer who is interested with what to do. And in the winter, it's the satire, because you do not have what you do not want. It's more like a philosopher who keeps asking why. So in terms of questions, you have the what, the why not, the how, and the why which correspond to a composer, administrator, performing artist, and philosopher. Now, there is you know, tragic performance, comic administrator, romantic composer, and satirical philosopher. They all sort of fall, fall together like a, a cute picture. That's all. I mean, there's nothing special. but uh, Beautiful, beautiful. Love it. I absolutely love it. So <laughs> so I thought we'd, we'd finish up, we'd wrap it up with bringing it all together. And there's a great diagram that does this in the book. This brings together many of the aspects that you cover in the book, Theodore. Maybe you'll, you'll tell us about what this means, different ways of looking at natural growth. Well, the, the S-curve is a natural growth, which is the size, the size of the organism the total number of sales, the total number of dollars coming in, the level of accomplishment, which goes through an escape that reaches a ceiling as we go through the four seasons. I, again, I begin it with an end with the, with, the, with the winter. Now, the bell-shaped curve, as I say, is the derivative of, of the S-curve. It's the rate of growth. It's how much this S-curve changes over a unit of time. And we see that both the S-curve and its derivative, they go exponentially. The derivative of the exponential is an exponential. So in the beginning, they both grow exponentially. Then the S-curve stops growing right at the midpoint of the bell-shaped curve. When the bell-shaped curve reaches the maximum here, the rate of growth is maximum, but it will become less in the near future. So from growing, we begin to slowing down. And that's the, the, the declining part of the S-curve. Here I show the, the second derivative, which is what I used in my tools and methodologies to detect where we are on the curve. The second derivative is the rate of change of the rate of change. So that is when, when the bell-shaped curve is growing fast, when the rate of change is growing fast, the rate of change of this curve reaches a maximum and declines. And when you have maximum rate of change, the top of the life cycle, the second derivative is zero, and they will go negative afterwards. So it's a mathematical tool that, that allows you to, to detect where you are on the previous ones. That's why I segmented this into eight, into eight visions so that I can assign a different question in each one of these regions, appropriate question that will tell you if, if your rate of growth is increasing, then you are in early spring. If, if your rate of sales, if your rate of sales just began decreasing, then you are in early fall. So I have a whole questionnaire which you ask the, the employees or the marketers of a company. And based on their answers, you infer where you are on, on the whole process with the precision of half a season. So that's why I divided this season in two and questions appropriate to each of these segments. And the answer positions you in the particular slab 
of that's that was how why are you on the curve? This is the this is the question which this graph pertains to to answer. Beautiful, beautiful. And I'm gonna link to all the books and also to Theodore's website as well. And you can find them on LinkedIn, etc. Theodore, I, I have one quote that I absolutely love. I'm gonna share this as a, a way to kind of bring it all together. I absolutely loved what you wrote here. You said revolutions and re-evolutions in natural growth processes chaos gives place to order just as spring follows winter and leads into summer in nature these things happen by themselves but in the marketplace people tend to interfere constructively sometimes less so at other times now, launching new products is not a complicated process the difficult transition period between successive products presents no real problem when the overall ability to innovate technology is not yet exhausted. In any case, portfolios, you tell us, of several products at different seasons each ensure continuous growth for the company. But if we look at the whole company as one product, its rebirth is more difficult to achieve. Turning a company around is an almost impossible task, but it involves diverting a process from a declining natural course. In nature, such diversions do not happen. No species unaided ever succeeded in halting its own distinction. Yet most companies embark on this attempt. They reorganize, replacing much of their personnel up through the management team. But in the end, only a few companies succeed. Product substitution proceeds successfully only for truly differentiated products. Similarly, a company turnaround succeeds only if the changes are so profound that the transformation is tantamount to creating a different company. That is why the chief executive, sometimes the founder, usually has to go. The old culture has to die in order for the new one to grow. The board's primary concern should be to make sure that the new planned changes do not fall short of transforming the organization into a new species beautiful beautiful bravo thank you beautifully written theodore it's been an absolute pleasure spending time and learning from you where can people find you to find out more about your work well the best way is the internet as you say my my website www.growth-dynamics.com fantastic well i have to tell you man i absolutely love spending time with you i hope we get to do it again author of Conquering Uncertainty, Theodore Modis, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure.